Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
by God's grace that we are saved. Can I get an amen, amen for that? Amen. By grace through faith in our most holy Lord Jesus Christ we are saved. Grace alone from God provides us our strength, our well-being, and our future. He is the one who gives us all. Praise his name and worship the only true God.
got a cramp. <laughs> Halfway through, I get a cramp in my hand. I'm like, uh, The air vibrates with his being. His countenance, his countenance surrounds us and draws us nearer to him. The undying being, the great I am. He was there before time and will be there when time ends. A being so immense that no one can possibly fathom his, his extent. Yet he loves us. His creations. And suffered so that we may live to be with him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? How great is our God that he provides for us. How great is he who rules our hearts. Let us rejoice together in song. Oh, 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 oh,
How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our sisters. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, so that the redemption came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and so on who uh, those who have faith in Christ. Uh, dyslexia kicking in. Great passage in Romans. Um, if, if you are in the habit of memorizing scripture, there are great passages in Romans that you can start to memorize that are, uh, it's all valuable, but um, there's something about Romans that where Paul brings the practicality of our faith into view. So uh, since we're, we're talking about God's love and grace today, uh, we also have to include in that his righteousness. And we'll see that as the, uh, as the passage unfolds this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask those who are going to help with the uh, offering <clears throat> come forward we'll pray and then we'll wait on you for the for the offering let's pray our father we come before you with with much to pray for father first of all we look at this terrible tragedy in turkey and syria where they expect the death toll to even climb further. As, as, as of this morning, it was 27,000. Father, we just pray for the families who lost loved ones. We pray that if any are still alive in the rubble, that you would direct 
the rescuers to where they need to be. Father, uh, we uphold both countries in prayer. This is a terrible tragedy. And Father, I think about our schools, the high schools, the middle schools, even in grade school, how bullying has gotten so out of hand. And Father, I don't know all the circumstances, but we pray for the family of the young lady who took her own life up at Central Regional because she was bullied. Oh, Father, it just seems like we've lost what it means to be civil to one another. Help us. We need you. And Father, it's amazing how unidentified flying objects can bring us to a point where we become uneasy as to what to expect next. Father, help us as a country to return to you. Help us, Father, to put our trust in you. And help us, Father, to pray for our government, our leaders, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior and use your word to give them guidance into their decisions. Father, for a lot of years, you've blessed this country. But I suspect until we come back to you as the church and the country, those blessings will continue to decrease. That's a scary thought, Father. Thank you for all you have provided. Thank you for the men and women who have sacrificed their own lives, whether they're in the military, in law enforcement, to guard the freedoms that we have even to meet here today. Pray for their families, Father. In these trying times. And Father, as we give to the work of the kingdom, would you continue to open doors for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a hurting world and help us to share it in love. Bless the gift and the giver, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at uh, the continuing conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus this morning. It, it is really uh, a great conversation. And, um, you know, last week in this conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, uh, Jesus was trying to let Nicodemus know that you need to be born from above or born again by faith in the personal work of Jesus in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and Nicodemus didn't quite get it, did he? At least not yet. And, you know, he says, how can you, how can somebody old go back into the woman's womb and be born again? 
And Jesus says, no, you, you, you still don't get it. We're talking about a spiritual birth here. And that spiritual birth is essential for us to enter the kingdom in heaven. And then Jesus you know, goes on to say, listen, Nicodemus, it's not by keeping religious rules that you get into heaven. It's not by uh, keeping these laws you created, Nicodemus, to get you into heaven. But it's all about faith in the Son of God. So we're going to continue that conversation today. Um, this is a, a real difficult concept, and yet it's so simple. Uh, I, you know, as a, uh, gosh, when TV was black and white, anybody, any of you remember black and white television? Uh, you're as old as I am, okay? You're as old as I am. When, when uh, TV was black and white, there used to be the program on The Millionaire right? Uh, John Bears for Tipton, a philanthropist, right, would randomly pick out someone to give them a million dollars tax-free. And Michael Anthony was the guy who delivered the check. And the only stipulation was that they could not share where the money came from, correct? And almost all the shows, it was like, yeah, but what's the catch, right? What's, what's, what's the catch here? You know, there's got to be a catch. In our own sinfulness, we like religious rituals, if I can put it that way. And nothing wrong with them when they're done with the right heart, okay? But too many times what we have done with religious rituals is raised them up to, to feed our own ego and say, hey, look how good I am. And, you know, look at that guy or girl out there. You know, they're not, I'm better. No, we're not. We're not better. And Nicodemus being a Pharisee and a Sadducee, Pharisees, by the way, were the religious PhDs. You know that. And a Sadducee, was the ruling class of Jews that did not even believe that there would be a resurrection. So there was some, even some conflict with the Pharisees and the Jews, but when Jesus shows up, now they have a, co a common enemy because Jesus is a threat to their power, to their greed, to their man-made rules, and Jesus comes on the scene and says to Nicodemus, it's not by good works. It's through faith in Christ. You know, I, you know, I titled the message, you must be what? Born again. And last week we talked about how butchered that phrase got over the years. And since really Jimmy Carter's presidency, because Jimmy Carter... Uh, you know, is is born again. He's still with us, isn't he? You know, he's born again, and people latched onto that phrase and made it, made it trendy for a while without even asking, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean? 
Well, it means that something supernatural happens when we put our trust in Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. That we're born from above and the fact that the Spirit of God then indwells us the moment we repent and believe to give us a new birth. So, hopefully you and I have, uh, we can celebrate a couple of birthdays, right? Our natural one and our spiritual one. Now, not, not everybody can really pinpoint the day they came to know Christ because, it, 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 listen, it happens differently for a lot of people. And uh, I remember reading a story of a church in the South, uh, evangelical church in the South, and um, one of the farmers came in and, you know, worshiped with the congregation. He wanted to become a member of the church. This is a true story, by the way. And, you know, sometimes the leaders in the church, they can get a little bit uh, self-righteous, if I could put it that way. And so when the, when the man express interest, they interview him. We interview people. Uh, you know, when they want to come become members, just to hear their testimony, right? So one of the elders uh, looks at him and says, Sir, what can you point to a day and a year you came to know Jesus? And he says, No, I'm sorry, I can't. I said, No, he said, they, and they started pressing him. They said, Come on, you, I mean, you have to know. Everybody knows, which is not true, by the way. Well, he says, I'm sorry. I mean, you don't want me to make anything up. And they said, of course not. But we really need to have an idea. And then, of course, in the self-righteousness, they said to the man, then how do you know you're saved? And the man said, because I was there. I was there. And sometimes that's how it happens, isn't it? Right? I was there. I, somewhere back then, I put my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you the month or the day, but I know it. I was born again because I was there. Well, let's take a look at this continuing conversation with Nicodemus, okay? And uh, it says, Jesus now is still talking to Nicodemus, right? This comes from Numbers 21, by the way, uh, where it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, what happened with Moses uh, back in the Old Testament, because of Israel's rebellion and grumbling and their tendency to forget God, Moses had warned them, but God decided to send snakes into the camp. I hate snakes. Do you? I know, we, we have some snake lovers, I know, but, I, you know, listen, if I see a snake, he can go his way, I'll go mine. You know, I'm not, I'm not even going to say they're cute, 
and there's one of God's creatures, but I'm not going to say they're cute. But poisonous snakes came into the camp as a judgment for disobedience. And so people were getting bitten. They were dying almost instantly. And people started to cry out to Moses. They said, Moses, cry out to God. Maybe he can save us from this. So the instructions Moses got from God was to, to make a, a bronze snake, put it on a pole, a big pole, and lift it up and tell everyone, those who look upon this snake by faith will be saved. So Moses did exactly what he did what he was told to do. And he lifted up the, the snake, and the, the Hebrews who looked by faith got spared, saved them. There was nothing they could do to save themselves. Notice when they cried out, God took the initiative, didn't he? He said, hey, listen, you cried out to me, I'm gonna answer your prayer. But this should have been a lesson to the Hebrews, to the self-righteous, that sin puts us in a position where we can't save ourselves. It's impossible that we need someone like the Son of Man to be lifted up. Where was the Son of Man, Jesus, lifted up? Was he? Come on. This is not a quick question. He was lifted up on the cross. For who to say? All. All. Up on the cross, he endured God's wrath when he took on my sin and yours. He took on God's entire wrath so that whoever believes may have eternal life in him. For whoever believes will be born again, born from above. Now remember, and I'm sorry I have to keep going back, but it's important. Remember that faith and belief, same word, by the way, in the Greek, uh, it means not just the mind, it means the whole person. That's where you'll hear uh, people like, uh, well, used to hear people like Billy Graham, still hear Franklin Graham and um, Greg Laurie and some of the other evangelists. Uh, they'll, they'll go around and they'll, they'll say, listen, put your total trust in Christ. Heart, mind, and will. It's a belief where you will stake your life on Christ. Who was the guy, I wasn't around for this, so I don't remember the name, but who was the guy who uh, uh, used to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope? Do you remember the name? Willenda? Brought the Willenda brothers? 
Okay. Well, he, he would set up a tightrope up at Niagara Falls, right? There'd be people on the United States side and the Canada side watching all of this. And the question he would ask them is, do you think I can walk across without falling? And the people, yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Okay. So he does it. He walks across to the other side. And he, he gets to the other side. They're applauding him. And they, then he asked this question. Do you have faith that I can walk across this rope to the other side wheeling a wheelbarrow on the rope? Oh, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, we have faith in you. So he does, and of course, the other side is clapping for him and saying, that was great. And then he says, if you really have faith, will one of you get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> See, that's the difference between intellectual faith and real faith. Listen, if that were Jesus rolling the wheelbarrow, I'd get in. Okay? You understand the difference. It's different in just intellectually knowing something. But listen, faith is a, not only a noun, it's a verb. It's to say, Lord, I give my very life to you. And there's some things implicit with that. Lord, help me clean it up. <laughs> we don't have to come clean. In other words, we don't have to deal with all our sin before we come to Christ. We need to confess it and agree with God that we're rebels. But the cleanup process, that's God's as we submit to him. Right? I will make you fishers of men, he said to his apostles. You catch fish, they need to be cleaned. Well, God will clean us from the inside out. So whoever believes may be born from above, have eternal life. I mean, this is, you know, Nicodemus has to be scratching his head here uh, a little bit, right? And then we come into, for God so loved the world. The world. Everyone. That he gave his one and only son that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, did, did Jesus come just for the Jews? He came to be lifted up for the salvation of all men, all women, all children who will put their faith in him. You see the visual now, okay? Nicodemus knew the story of Numbers 21 with the snakes in the camp and then how God saved them when the snake was lifted up. How much more will God save us when the Son of God is lifted up? This is a pretty bold statement by Jesus, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then he goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now listen, I, I need to unpack that a little bit for you. Um, 
This is, a, of course, a true statement. But salvation is the work of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each has a role in our salvation. Okay? Jesus says no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them to me. Correct? And then it is the Holy Spirit's role to convict us of our sin. And when we repent and put our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now the Holy Spirit is still active in the world. And the Holy Spirit's mission in the world is to kind of pride people to say, hey, this is not right. You know, there's a better way. You need to come to Jesus. So it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. Jesus came to uh, save those who realize their sin. At the Super Bowl tonight, Well, I, you know, I know Philly is only about 60 miles away, okay? Uh, I, they're playing in Arizona. I never understood why they can't play in one of the stadiums uh, of one of the teams, but they're playing in Arizona. You know, I, I found out that people were paying thousands of dollars for tickets to the Super Bowl. And listen, I, I like football, I like baseball, I like sports, nothing wrong with that. If you're having a Super Bowl party, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But I have to step back for a moment and say, if we only put that type of energy into our worship, into our evangelism, into our priorities, the church would be much different. Hobby Lobby, I don't know if you realize it tonight, they will be sponsoring um, some of the commercials Jesus Gets Us, all right? Um, it's a bold move for Hobby Lobby, you know, to, to do this. But they're doing it. If you notice Christmas and Easter, they always, in, in every paper in the country, they pay for a full-page ad about Christ. Jesus gets us. And, and that's a true statement. The question is, do we get him? <laughs> right? I mean, he gets us. He, he, he suffered every way we suffered. He's been tempted every way we've been tempted, and even more. And yet he didn't sin. So he understands by his suffering what we're going through. So in that sense, he gets us. But when we come to God... We have to come on God's terms. And that is faith and repentance in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That will never change. I'm praying that God will use these ads tonight to, to start to open people's eyes up. You know, a lot of people, when they read the scriptures, they really think that Jesus was kind of a stick in the mud. He wasn't. He went to parties, right? He went to weddings. He used to like eating dinner with people, even with sinners, like Matthew. 
or Zacchaeus, right? I mean, yeah, he gets us. And that's good. That's comforting. And he loves us. The question is how will we respond to that love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me continue. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Isn't that great? The hymn and can it be, Charles Wesley wrote it. He wrote it after his conversion. He says, no condemnation now I dread. Wow. On the other side of the grave, there's no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know, oftentimes as a pastor, I'll get people saying to me, God, God won't send anybody to hell. And I say, well, he doesn't. Well, what do you mean? I said, we send ourselves. That's what this is saying. God gives us ample opportunity to put our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How many of you uh, in the Gospels read about the unpardonable sin? Anybody? You should. You should. Because questions always come up, what's the unpardonable sin? Yeah. I, you know, when I say that, I think of Jackie Gleason. You know, he, by his own words, he said, you know, I've done everything. Listen, the only unpardonable sin is dying without Christ. That's the only unpardonable sin. As long as there's breath, there's hope. Does that make sense? As long as there's breath, there's hope. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not stands, uh, does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's sin that condemns us, our own sin. That's what condemns us. And that's what we need, why we need a Savior to rescue us. Then he says this, here's the verdict. Here's the final word. It's like a court scene, right? You're waiting for the jury to come in, and then now the judge is going to read the verdict. Light has come into the world. Well, who's the light? Jesus, right? Beginning of John, we see that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with John. And uh, the Word was with God. And God uh, uh, says that the light came into the world. Jesus. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Whoa. In just that verse, you have the contrast between the light of Christ and the darkness of sin. Now, how many of you ever looked uh, at a slide of something under a microscope? You need light to see what's really there, correct? Without light, you can't see it. So yeah, if you... If you 
if you ever want to do this and you have a microscope at home, just get a, a drop of tap water, put it on the slide, put it in the microscope under a bright light, and you're going to see things running around in that water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And not bad things. They're just, you know, running around in the water. And they're not. They're not bad things. Uh, they're just microorganisms, you know, in, in, in the water. The light exposes, doesn't it? When I got out of seminary years ago, I took a job with a limousine company. And um, I had to go up during a snowstorm, as a matter of fact, and pick up a family that was coming in from Aspen, Colorado. And um, their flight was delayed uh, two and a half hours, so I waited. I don't know if they've changed it, but in the men's room, they have these bright fluorescent lights. And back then, how old was I? I was 39, right? And I looked at the mirror, and I said, I was starting to get gray. I had a lot more hair than I had now. And I was looking at the wrinkles, and I said, when did this happen? <laughs> right? When did this happen? The light exposed the blemishes. But you see, Jesus is the light that came into the world. Not only can he expose, ex expose the blemishes, but he nailed them on the cross. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Well, we know that, right? And, we, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Listen, I, you know, I'm not going to get political here. But all you have to do is watch the hearings that are going on. <laughs> oh, man. There's nothing. Listen to me. You can take this to the bank. There's nothing evil that will not ultimately be exposed. Because God has the final word in Jesus Christ. Then he answers passion and says, but whoever lives by the truth, by grace, by the word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes into the light so that it may be plain, seen plainly by what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. You know, it's the old adage, if you, had, if you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to hide. Right? Liars have to have good memories. You know, because in order to cover up a lie, you got to lie. Then you got to lie again. And again, you better have a good memory to, you know, otherwise, you, you know, somebody's going to say, but didn't you say this? Oh, uh, no, 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 I didn't say. And then, then you got to lie again. Mm -hmm. Liars have to have good memories. The problem is many don't. I'm going to close with this illustration. Years ago, um, right after I got out of college, I was working for a company. And they used to subscribe to the Daily News, right? Uh, Daily News is still printed, I think, right? Right? And on page like 
12 or 14 of the Daily News, there was this little article about a thief, it happened to be in Italy, uh, who wanted to rob a jewelry store. Again, it's a true story. So at night, of course, in the darkness, right, he goes up to, the thief goes up to the jewelry store and tries to force the door open and he's pulling, pulling the door sets off a silent alarm. I mean, sometimes thieves aren't that bright, correct? So the police get there. Okay, they arrested the guy, and then they wanted to see if the door was secure. So they turned the knob and opened it in. The door wasn't locked. That is a true story. Oh, many years ago, over 30 years ago. But the point is, his deed was exposed. He did it in the darkness, but the alarm went off and he got caught. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whew. We're going to pick it up from there next week. And you're going to find in the Gospel of John, it's highly Christological. That is, we're going to find out a lot about uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And uh, you, you can read ahead if you want. But the question I want to ask before we close today is simply this. Have we, and it's possible even for believers, have we come to a point where we just go through the motions? You know what I mean by that? We, things become habit, we can get into a rut, we just go through the motions. And that can happen to any of us. But this is saying, no, you've been born from above. You are in a living relationship now with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit in you. Keep on going forward. Well, Lord, how do I go forward? Well, it's, it's all here. It's all here. Has anybody mastered this yet? Right? I mean, I haven't. I've had 12 years of schooling just in this. You go on by faith. In the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as neutral. If you don't go on with Christ, you're going to go backwards. <laughs> and the farther back you go, the more comfortable you get. But it's only one step of faith back. And repentance and faith. So let's kind of use this passage to examine our own hearts to say, hey, Lord, do I really understand what it means to be born from above and help increase my understanding of that? Because someday you might have to tell somebody. Now, you can take that to the bank, too. You know why? Because that's our commission. Go into the world. 
Make disciples, Jesus says. Teaching them everything I've taught you. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is good. And all the time. He didn't have to do this for us. He did this because he loved us and he didn't give up on us. He did this so we can have a restored relationship with him that we forfeited in the Garden of Eden. And that relationship will be complete when he comes back again. <laughs> you know, I was thinking last night, because there was an object sighted over Iowa, I think it was, and um, it had ended up being an anomaly of false, false sighting. But I, I like to hear the news, if I'm around, I like to hear the news, how they're going to handle Christ coming back <laughs> on a white horse through the clouds, That'll be interesting. But he's coming back. Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And again, forgive me because I'm going to have to run out right after the song. I chose this song per, uh, for the purpose of crying out to God For, for not only our country, but for the whole earth. In Psalm 19, God says in, through the psalmist that there's enough evidence in creation to point to a creator. And then in the second half of the psalm, he says, now I'm going to tell you who that creator is. It is Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please?
Listen for those trumpets. One of these days, right? Only God knows when. Let's pray. Father, it was good to be here today. Thank you for those who came out. We pray for those not able to be here today. And Father, as we depart, may we realize how incredible that the supernatural birth is that you loved us so much that you sent your son to make it possible that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. So Holy Spirit, bring us away rejoicing. Bring us away with uh, the, the sure hope that God is still in control in this crazy world. And Father, we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. We'll see you soon.